Last year, last year, 2016 last year, politics in America was nothing short of crazy, right? Right? Like Easter Sunday, it was full of surprises. Surprise! <laughs> right? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm on social media. I have a Facebook account, a Twitter account. Uh, I even have an Instagram account, which apparently for a man my age is strange. <laughs> and, and my social media pool of people is diverse. I have Democrats and Republicans, uh, Christians and skeptics, gay, straight, married, single, preppy, Civil War reenactor. Like, I have a buddy, Dave, who's a Civil War reenactor, and every weekend he goes and fights the Civil War somewhere in America every weekend. And I've noticed something. Some of my friends have a political filter. They have a political filter, a way of seeing things that never changes. And so no matter what the president says or does, no matter how good an idea it is, they hate it. They're convinced it's the end of the republic, last American out of America, turn off the lights and bring the flag, right? And then I have another pool of friends who, again, no matter what the president says, no matter what the president does, no matter how despicable it is, they're like, no, this is great. He's going to shake up Washington. He's going to make America great again. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that strange? Now, maybe you have Facebook friends like that. Maybe that's you, right? <laughs> I want to suggest this morning on this Easter Sunday that just like some people have a political filter, that it's possible to have a God filter. It's possible to have a God filter, a way of seeing God that flavors the way that you see the world, the way that you make decisions. And I know that it's possible to have a God filter because I know this from firsthand experience. When I was a young man, the church that we belonged to, my dad felt that that church had become weak in Bible teaching. And so he wanted to take us to a church that he believed would be strong in Bible teaching. And so he took us to an independent, fundamental, soul-winning Baptist temple in Hartford City, Indiana, where we lived. Now, there were a lot of good things that came from my time there. I read the Bible for the first time in my life in that congregation. I heard God's voice. I heard God speaking to me for the first time in my life in that congregation. I got my call to the ministry in that congregation. But I also picked up a God filter, and I didn't even know that I had picked one up. And so the, the way that this particular God filter went that I picked up in this independent, fundamental, soul-winning Baptist church is really simple. Live according to God's rules, and God will bless you and answer your prayers. Disobey God and zap. He's going to get you. He's going to punish you. And, and so I carried this God filter with me everywhere I went in my early years. Now, this independent fundamental Baptist church had all kinds of rules. I mean, we, you couldn't drink, you couldn't dance, you couldn't smoke, you couldn't chew tobacco. Um, you, if you were a boy, your hair had to be no, no longer than three fingers above the collar. If you were a girl or a lady, you had to wear a skirt all the time. My mom wore pants, and so she never went to church there. <laughs> right? Right? I remember, I remember Pastor Larry giving a sermon one Sunday on how much makeup 
a woman should wear. And as a teenager, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I think Mrs. Larry should be giving this talk. You know, she's the one that wears makeup. And then, but that was another rule. If you were a woman, you couldn't teach. And so there were lots of rules. And the God filter I picked up from that place is I thought, well, if I'm in church every time church is open, which back then was four times a week, if I kept my hair short, if I didn't have sex, if I, if I prayed every day, read my Bible every day, if I witnessed every day, if I did all those things, then God would bless me and my life would turn out well. And of course, if I didn't, if I messed up, if I forgot to read my Bible one day, watch out, the Zaporuskis are going to come. I can remember a church dinner where adults around me were talking about one of the deacons who had lost his job. And they were convinced that God was punishing that man because when he went fishing, he drank. Oh, they were convinced, okay? And this is the God filter that I took with me when I went to college. If my car broke down, God, what have I done wrong? If another date flopped, God, what am I doing wrong? Help me to figure it out. You know, I was panicked and stressed out about this filter. Now, this particular God filter has a name, and I'm grateful for Sky Jethany and his book, With. I'm using that book for some of the major ideas in this teaching series. It's a book called With right? And he has some pictures. So a picture's worth a thousand words, right? So what does is, what is this God filter look like? Well, if this is God, and, we'll, and we're Christians, so we're going to draw God as a triangle, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so here's God, and here's you. Our little legs there, boom. <laughs> this is life under God. Life under God feels exactly this way. Oh, oh, it's crushing. It weighs you down. Now, if you think I'm crazy, there are a lot of people in this country that have this way of looking at God. It's amazing to me. Uh, those of you that know me know I could care less about sports, but oh, I paid attention when this one hit the news in 2010. So there's a, there's a man named Stevie Johnson, and he played football for the Buffalo Bills in 2010. And they had a game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and apparently the guy just muffed a game-winning touchdown. I mean, he blew it. Now, apparently also, he's a Christian, so that night after the game, and this is where I got onto it, it made the news, he tweeted something. I praise you 24-7. Notice this is in all caps. I praise you 24-7, and this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I will never forget this ever. Thanks, though. <laughs> Thanks, though. You stink, God. Love you. <laughs> This typifies the life under God filter. I have a friend who has several younger sisters, and they all came of age in the late 1990s. And back then, the purity movement was really big in the Christian churches, right? So if you were a young person, and, and one of his little sisters did, went away for a purity weekend with mom, pledged herself, I will not have sex until marriage, which is a good 
idea. It's a good thing because sex is more than just sex. It's not just something physical, right? We talk about that here. But she went and she got the ring and she pledged herself and, and she did. She has kept herself pure. Last year, she turned 32, 32, and she is not married, and she is madder than a hornet at God, because in her mind, I got the ring. I went on the purity weekend. I did all the right things. Where's my godly husband? You stink, God. Love you, though. <laughs> right? Right? This is a thing. Now, the irony of life under God is that really what we're trying to do is we're trying to control God. If we could picture it, it would look like this. So I obey, I read my Bible, I pray, I witness, I go to church every time it's open, I do all the right things, and God is kind of under those puppet strings, and God has to bless me now. All right, God, did all the right stuff, come on, hand it over, here I am. Now, this is a scary, scary thing because God is not so easily controlled. God, let me say this again. God is not so easily controlled. The Romans and the Pharisees found this out on Easter Sunday. God is not so easily controlled. And so here's my clear bottom line for today. Life under God will not deliver you from fear and it will not reconnect you to God. Life under God will not deliver you from fear, and it won't reconnect you to God. Jesus actually confronted this particular God filter all the time in his public teaching and ministry. He did. He encountered it time and time again. And in John's gospel, where we'll be today, we'll be in John chapter 9. In John's gospel, people either loved Jesus or they hated him. There weren't a whole lot of people in John's gospel doing the whole, meh, meh. <laughs> Well, the rabbi from Jerusalem, meh. <laughs> no, there wasn't a whole lot of meh. So let's get into it. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it, was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, if we had a friend who had a son who was born blind today in 2017, we would feel sorry for our friend. We would want to know, is it genetic? Is it something physical that could be corrected with surgery? Those are the types of questions that we would tend to ask. But in the first century, with the life under God mindset being the prevailing mindset, the very question everybody would have asked is exactly what the disciples asked Jesus. Oh, hey, here's somebody born blind. Zip. It's clear what God's up to here. So, hey, Rabbi, help us out. Who's to blame? Is it the man or is it his parents? Who messed up? Of course, Jesus responds in, in only the way that Jesus can, which is great. Verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Eh, wrong, <laughs> wrong. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. To me, it's like that moment in The Princess Bride where the grandson thinks that Wesley has died, and he says, who gets humperdink? And Grandpa says, no one, he lives. And he goes, gee, Grandma, you're, Grandpa, you're getting the story wrong. See, the, the disciples with Jesus are thinking, 
Jesus, you're getting the story wrong. We know that when somebody's hurting, when somebody's blind, when somebody's poor, it's because God is punishing them. That's how life works. You do the right things, you get rewarded. You do bad things, you get punished. And Jesus is saying, no, God does not roll that way. Life does not work that way. And then Jesus does something interesting. He does something that he knows is going to cause a ruckus. And that's John uh, 9, 6, and 7. This is what it says. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seen. There is nothing magical about Jesus' spit. Let me say this again. There is nothing magical about Jesus' spit. It's not like Peter was off at the side going, Jesus, spit on me so I can fly, okay? <laughs> it's not happening. If you go online and someone is selling Jesus' spit, along with the other things that they sell online, don't buy it. It's not going to help you. The whole point of spitting was to make mud, was to cause him to have to knead the mud with his hands. Because in doing that, he was going to create a problem. Now, you see, the Jews of the first century, in particular the Pharisees, had rules, just like I had rules in my independent, fundamental, soul-winning Baptist church. They had two rules that applied to this situation. Rule number one, you may not heal someone on the Sabbath unless it's a matter of life or death. I know some of you are thinking, that was a rule? That was a thing? Yes, it was a thing. Rule number two, there is no kneading, no kneading of bread, no kneading of mud, no working your hands in that way. If you're working your hands that way, you're breaking the rules. You're a rule breaker. Now, what happens? We've covered this life under God. If you break the rules, what happens? God zaps you. All right, you're paying attention. That's great. So, so Jesus does this, but what happens here? The man goes and washes and is healed. He's healed. This creates more problems. Verses 20 through 23. They call in his parents because they want to find out, well, maybe, maybe he wasn't blind his whole life. Maybe he saw for a while and then sort of lost it, so maybe this really isn't a miracle. So they call the parents in. Verse 20, his parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough. Ask him. In this section, everybody's afraid. The, the Pharisees are afraid of two things. They're afraid that something new is about to burst out of Ju Judaism, something that they can't control. They're also afraid that if the people, if the crowds believe that Jesus is Messiah, they'll try and make him king. And once they do that, the Romans will come in and crush him. Gang, these are legitimate concerns. History being 2020 vision, not only did something new burst out of Judaism, we're here, aren't we? 
But in AD 70, the whole messianic thing got blown out of proportion and the Romans came in and raised everything. They burned Jerusalem to the ground and then whatever didn't burn, they had soldiers stationed there to pull down the giant stones. The Romans were that angry, <laughs> okay? So these are legitimate concerns. The parents are afraid. They're afraid of being put out of the synagogue. We don't know what that's like, but in the first century, put out of synagogue means you can no longer do business with them, no contracts, no marriages, no buying property, no selling goods. The, if you're put out of synagogue, the best option is to leave and go someplace else. So everybody is afraid. Everybody is afraid. The man is interviewed, and look at what he says. I love this. The second time, they called the man in who had been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this. In other words, tell the truth. Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Sinner there doesn't mean sinner like we mean. A sinner is like a reprobate person, a scoundrel. We know Jesus is a scoundrel, right? 25, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. Boom. He says that in verse 25, and then down in verse 33, which I don't have for you, he says, if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. In other words, this man was sent from God. God is clearly doing a new thing. You won't find a single instance in the Old Testament of someone receiving sight miraculously. It's a new thing. And with Jesus, it's happening all the time, all right? Jesus is claiming something and debunking something else. He's claiming at the beginning of this chapter, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world by, by which everyone sees things as they are and they see God for who he is and they see themselves for who they are. I illuminate everything in such a way that if you have flaws and faults, light, you can't miss it. There's no covering, there's no makeup, there's no Photoshop. Everything is revealed as it is. I am the light of the world. And he also says in verse 2, by correcting the disciples, life under God is not how God rolls and is not how life works. It's not 100% true. If you do bad things, you're always going to get punished, and if you do good things, you're always going to get rewarded. Life doesn't work that way. At the end of the chapter, the blind man who can now see finds Jesus, and Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah, in other words? And the man says, oh, I want to. And Jesus says, you're looking at him. And what does the man say? Yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. At the end of chapter 9, the people who claim to see are actually blind, the Pharisees. And the man who was born blind can not only see physically, but he can see spiritually. He knows up from down. He knows what's real and true. Jesus, in verse 39, uh, in verse 39, he says this, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they're blind. In other words, he's dividing people, and he does that today. He divides people into those who come into the light and allow it to change them and direct their lives and those who resist the light and choose to remain in darkness. The man born blind in this story helps us see this man was sent from God. He's right. This man was sent from God. Only God can make the blind see. Only God can make someone who was dead 
alive. So let me ask some questions. Do you have a God filter? Is it possible that you have a God filter? Do you have a way of seeing God that may or may not line up with what we see most clearly represented about God in the life and ministry and work of Jesus? A way of seeing God that maybe has affected your decisions? Car broke down. What a God, why are you punishing me? Right? And then secondly, who is this man? Who is Jesus? If you're relatively new to Christianity or you spent time growing up in the church and you don't interface with it much, I want to tell you that there are millions of people around the world today that are insisting he didn't stay dead. You've got to figure this out. You've got to seriously investigate it and decide for yourself, who is this man? Who is Jesus? If you're wondering if, well, you know, I grew up Baptist like Max or maybe I grew up Catholic and... I, I think I may have this, I may have the life under God filter. <laughs> that may be me. Well, have you ever tried to bargain with God? What was the arrangement? How did it work out? <laughs> Some of you are already laughing right now. Listen, again, life under God will not deliver you from fear or reconnect you with God. Jesus knew this. He knew this. So how can you walk this out? How can we walk this out? I have some practical advice, right? First thing today, please recognize that if there is a God, and I'm, I'm convinced there is, you cannot control him. He is omnipresent, omniscient. He's everywhere, all-powerful, all-knowing. You can't make him do anything. You can't. You can't. So it would be wise to consider relinquishing the attempt to control. It would. Secondly, settle the question, who is Jesus? If you're not sure or you think, well, he's a great teacher and that's it, kick the tires. Seriously investigate it. If you're like, yeah, oh, Jesus is king, Jesus, Jesus is savior. I love him. He's awesome. I have a simple question. Does he get to lead your life? And then lastly, commit to read one of the gospels between now and the end of May. We see very clearly in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John a picture of who God really is in the life of Jesus. Reading the gospel and with, through the lens of, I wonder what filter, I wonder how I should see God based on what I'm reading in this book, in this testimony about the life of this person. Right? Here's why this is important. You're going to find it's impossible to keep all the rules anyway. I made several bargains with God. God, I'll, you know, if you help me through this test, I'll pray every morning for the next 30 days and I'll read through, you know, all four gospels and I'll, and every bargain, it seemed like I could not hold up my end of the deal. And I couldn't even keep all the rules. There are days when I didn't read my Bible, right? <laughs> you can't keep all the rules. It's impossible. And when you fail, you're going to be mad at yourself you're going to be mad at the God, and you're going to be cranky with everyone. It's, it's a terrible filter. And the second thing is, the second reason this is important is you're going to miss out on God's kingdom. The, God was doing something new in the life of Jesus, and the Pharisees were convinced, oh, rule breaker, God doesn't have anything to do with you, and they were wrong. They missed out on God's kingdom right in front of their faces. 
I love what Mike Lesage says all the time. God, the kingdom of God is a party, right? You don't want to miss out on a good party. Last week on Monday, on my way to Virginia, taking my two girls, I came across a group of vultures that all took flight at the same time. One of them failed to clear the van. Boom! Boom! Shearing off the antenna, mangling the, the side view mirror, and clawing the side of the van as it left blood and other things on the van. It was great. It was an awesome experience. <laughs> Both girls who had their headphones on, what just happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go with it. I took with me two of my hiking pairs of pants that have zippers. Uh, but as soon as we got to Grandma and Grandpa's house, which is right next to Bush Gardens, uh, my youngest said, I want to go to Bush Gardens. Let's go now. So I, I went. I did. And I was wearing my jeans, not my zippered pockets. And, you know, I have this Samsung Galaxy 7 Edge that I just got. And when I was getting out one of the rides, boom, I trip, and it goes, bam, right on the um, screen, shattering it. And I walked away, and Maddie's like, Dad, your phone just busted. And I'm like, ha, funny. <laughs> no, she was right. <laughs> it, was like, it was like hosed. Later that day, uh, that same day, John calls me, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on the interstate, and the mercury's died. I don't know what's wrong with it. As it turns out, the mercury died. Like, it's, it's done. <laughs> now, the 21-year-old version of me would have been absolutely deflated that day. I would have been trying to figure out, what have I done wrong? Why is God punishing me? He's not. The me of today, I went on with my day. I know God's going to provide everything that I need. See, I was blind, but now I see. I used to think that my standing with God was based on my performance. I used to think, I've got to do all the right things. I've got to, you know, if I do all this stuff, God will be pleased with me. No, 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 no. That's what Jesus did. That was enough. All I got's Jesus. That's all I got. See, I was blind, but now I see. God filters are a big deal, gang. It's why Jesus taught for three years. <laughs> 